You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1881st edition of St. Edmund's Free News Talk for the 4th of June 2022. The editor of this edition is Mary Grenville, the producer is Ruth Hill and your readers are Sue Cunningham Snell and Adrian Grenville. We should also mention our processing teams who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We will repeat any telephone numbers that are in this edition at the end of the memory stick. And now Adrian has our first headline. Judges, arms trade warning as man jailed. Communities hate crime fears after fire at mosque. Father and son are found guilty of vigilante murder of thief. Campaigners a step closer to saving town rail crossing. Judges arms trade warning as man jailed. Arsenal found at 47-year-old's home. A Suffolk man who tried to smuggle banned weapons into the UK and modified guns in his home to sell on the internet has been jailed. Police found an arsenal of guns and other weapons at the Glemsford home of 47-year-old Simon Williams. Upon his arrest, Williams, who did not hold a firearm certificate, told officers, Well, it's something I did. It's all my fault. However, just a few months following his arrest, Border Force intercepted two separate packages destined for Williams' home at Coventry International Airport. The first package, sealed on January the 31st, 2022, contained flick knives, while the other, intercepted on February the 2nd, 2022, contained metal shocking probes, Mr Cohen said. Williams, of King's Road, Glemsford, pleaded guilty to nine charges in total, including four counts of possessing a prohibited firearm, two offences of possessing a prohibited weapon, possessing ammunition without a firearm certificate, and attempting to evade the prohibition on the importation of prohibited weapons. Jailing Williams for nine years at Ipswich Crown Court, Judge Emma Peter told him, the arms trade in this country is carefully regulated to avoid the kind of tragedy we have seen in America this week. Members of Haverhill's Muslim community believe the fourth attack on its mosque in the space of three years was a hate crime. Two and a half years ago, the mosque based at Beban House on the corner of Crowland Road and Camps Road was seriously damaged by a fire deliberately started in one of the rooms used for prayer. And in the early hours of Tuesday, Yakuba Ibrahim, the secretary of the Haverhill Muslim Community Association, arrived for early morning prayers at 4 a.m., to discover a wheelie bin had been set on fire and badly damaged. 
Mr. Ibrahim, who discovered the damaged bin, which had been placed in the car park area, ready for emptying later that morning, and said he was certain it was a hate crime, just as the previous arson was. He said it was on private property. Someone obviously got on there and decided to set the bin on fire. We don't think it's an accident. We think it was deliberate. Outside from the two arson attacks, Mr. Ibrahim said there had been two acts of vandalism at the mosque, which the association officially opened last March, after buying it from Haverhill Town Council. A fence had been deliberately pushed over in one incident and a window smashed in another. The incidents, in particular the far of 2019, in which a number of items, including Muslim books and prayer mats, were piled up in the middle of the ground floor prayer room and set alight, have left some mosque users unsettled. Father and son are found guilty of vigilante murder of thief. A father and son accused of murdering a thief in a vigilante killing in Bury St Edmunds have been found guilty by a jury. David King, 55, and Edward King, 19, hunted down the 45-year-old Neil Charles and stabbed him in the chest around 70 metres from their home after he tried the door handles of cars parked on their driveway. The father and son of Radnor Close Berries and Edmonds showed no emotions. The jury at Ipswich Crown Court unanimously found them guilty of murder after nearly 14 hours of deliberation. They had both denied the charge. Judge Martin Levitt adjourned the case until today to discuss dates for a sentencing hearing. During the trial, which started in March, Christopher Paxson, QC, prosecuted, claimed that the father and son delivered their own form of justice on Mr Charles in the early hours of the morning of June 20 last year, around 70 metres from their family home. Mr Charles suffered a 12-centimetre single stab wound to the chest and a slash wound to his knee. He died two days later. Mr Paxton said Mr Charles had a long career in a thief and a burglar and the prosecution accepted he was out that night stealing or looking to steal. He claimed the defendants had an obsession with weapons and that their home had knives, knuckle dusters, machetes and shotguns which David King had licensed for as a registered firearms holder. During the trial, David King claimed that Mr Charles suffered the fatal knife wound to his chest after running onto a military knife he was holding in his outstretched hand in Winsford Road on the town's Morton Hall estate. He claimed he'd pulled the knife out of his pocket after Mr Charles threw his bike at him and seeing Mr Charles' hand hovering near his pocket. He admitted failing to mention in a 999 call shortly after the incident that his son Edward had left their house with a 27-inch knee-jerk sword on the night in question. Campaigners fighting to keep new markets, much used Weatherby railway foot crossing, open are celebrating what they said was another step forward to victory. Network Rail has been trying to close the crossing, which links two sides of the town since 2016, on the grounds of safety, 
But on Monday, government-appointed planning inspector Mark Yates confirmed his previous ruling that it should remain open. Newmarket resident Michael Smy, who made the original application for the crossing to be recognised as a public highway in 2018, and has fought for the footpath together with fellow resident Rachel Wood, backed by Newmarket Town Council, which has footed legal bills of more than forty thousand pounds, said it was excellent news. It's not quite over because the modifications proposed by the inspector now have to be re-advertised, and Network Rail could still lodge an objection," said Mr. Smy. Mrs. Wood, who helped put together the evidence for the case presented by the town council's barrister that the crossing should stay open, praised Mr. Smy for his efforts and the thirty-two witnesses. Many of them residents who had given evidence to three injuries into the future of the crossing. Now we have some general news. Mental Health Trust starts food bank for staff. The region's troubled Mental Health Trust has set up a food bank for staff members who have been hit by the cost of living crisis. The Norfolk and Suffolk NHS. Foundation Trust has taken the measure in response to the ongoing squeeze on household finances, which has seen fuel, food, and utility bills soar. The scheme invites staff members to bring food donations into work, which colleagues are then able to help themselves to. Papers for the trust's upcoming board meeting said it is also establishing a group to bring forward further proposals to support staff through the rising. Cost of living. The trust was recently spaced in special measures for the fourth time in a decade, with campaigners arguing it is not fit for purpose. They say the introduction of food bank for staff is evidence the trust is not paying its staff enough, and have branded the initiative as a publicity stunt. Mark Harrison, of the campaign to save mental health services in Norfolk and Suffolk, said. If the trust paid its staff properly and was properly clinically led, it would not be in this situation. <coughs> it is a disgrace that a public body is effectively admitting it doesn't pay its staff well enough to the point they have to rely on food banks. The trust should be concentrating on transforming itself instead of publicity stunts like this. According to the recent results of the trust's staff survey. More than sixty percent of its staff forced say they are not satisfied with their level of pay. The trust currently employs about four thousand two hundred people across Norfolk and Suffolk, and according to its most recent pay figures, the average wage it pays is nineteen point fifty pence per hour for male employees, and sixteen point eighty pence for female employees. Its various salaries are set according to the NHS pay structures, the bottom rung of which is nine pounds sixty-four pence an hour. A vibrantly coloured peacock now stands proudly in Bury St Edmunds Abbey Gardens, in a nod to when a pair of peacocks roamed freely around the park in 1950, called Bury in Plume. 
This community art project is celebrating 1,000 years of the Abbey of St. Edmund with 1,000 feathers, inspired by the peacocks that used to be there. Berry in Bloom has worked with the Crafty Foxes to create this commemorative work with sponsorship from Green King and Hawksmoor Investment Management. Made from recycled materials, it is an evolving piece as the tale will grow over time. The public are being asked to make feathers from old milk cartons to be inserted over the coming month. Michelle Freeman of The Crafty Fox said, Since first conceiving the idea last year, I have been researching, and I think this art installation idea might be one of the first of its kind to include an involving growing process that develops over time. Schools Ukrainian Day to stand in support of war-torn country. A Ukrainian boy has been presented with a certificate for the courage he's shown in facing so many changes to his life and contributing so beautifully to his school community. Imogen Wallace, head of Great Wellneatham Church of England Primary School, said, David had settled in so well in the year one class. He was recognised during a Ukrainian day at the school on May the 13th, held to show the standard support of the people of Ukraine. They wore the colours of the Ukrainian flag and took in money to be donated to people from the country in need of help, raising £89.20. During collective worship, they listened to the Ukrainian national anthem and learned some words for different vehicles. We look forward to supporting more children and families from Ukraine in our school community, said Mrs Wallace. And my next article is also on an event that helped to people in Ukraine. The all-weather sports pitches at Haverhill Leisure Centre were alive with music and dance on Saturday when a fundraiser was staged to help people in the war hit Ukraine. From 10am until midday, the pitches were home to dozens of movers and shakers who were taking part in Dance for Ukraine. The organiser of the event, fitness and dance instructor Sila Severa of Haverhill, is well known to many for the Zumba, Zumba Gold, Aqua Aerobics and Keep Active lessons she leads at the Leisure Centre. The event, which asked participants to give a minimum of £5 donation, raised more than £560, which will be given to the Matilda Rose Action Squad in order to help Ukrainians affected by the conflict. Sila, whose own children, Axel 5 and Naria 8, took part in the event, was moved to put it on after seeing the impact of the war in the people in Ukra of Ukraine. She said, Those Ukrainian people they are the same as us. It hurt home seeing what is happening. What if it was happening to us? Would someone be there to help us too? Fellow Simba instructors Dean Wallace and Robin Hudoff were also on hand to take the dancers, many of whom are members of the classes given by Sila through their paces. Some of those taking part added Sila with friends or relatives of her class members who simply fancied joining in on the day. 
Sila thanks the Leisure Centre for providing the all-weather playing area for free and for setting up the stage, sound system and speakers, all for free. Taking part in town's first bio-blitz. Members of the public, young and old, came out for Berries and Edmund's first ever bio-blitz, a time-limited event in which teams work together to try and find as many species of plants, animals, fungi and other organisms as possible. The event happened in the Abbey Gardens on Saturday, with attendees set a target of 1,000 records of flora and fauna. It was all part of the Abbey 1,000 celebrations, marking 1,000 years since the founding of the Abbey of St Edmunds in Bury by King Canute. Julian McCready, Bury Water Meadows Group trustee, said, The plan is to repeat the bio-blitz each year and monitor changes over time. This is important because the Earth is losing biodiversity at rates not seen in the modern era, and we need to understand what is happening locally so we can better target our efforts to tackle it. A dental charity returned to Bury St Edmunds as residents continue to struggle to book NHS dental appointments. DentAid, a charity which usually offers free dental appointments to homeless and vulnerable people, was at the Newberry Community Centre on the Howard Estate on Thursday. It saw 33 patients, including three children and most needed painful teeth to be extracted or fillings. One person who was waiting in line at 10am was Sharon Salisbury, who was suffering with an abscess. Two weeks ago, she waited in A&E for four hours to be prescribed antibiotics for the infection. She said, On Monday, I had to ring about ten dentists and I could not get in one. I work full time, I pay my taxes and I couldn't get anywhere. So my day off, I'm here. I am so thankful that they're here. I appreciate them so much. But we shouldn't have to do this. It's 2022. It's not right. People are crying out for help and there's nothing worse than toothache. Dente's last visit to Berry in February was funded by councillors' locality budgets and there was enough money left over to pay for Thursday. Town councillor Donna Higgins, who represents the Minden Ward, said, We will have to regroup as councillors have a look at whether we bring Dentaid back. We're still continuing to speak out as much as we possibly can, because this is a sticking plaster over a gaping wound. Cafes support for refugees. Upstairs, in a Berries and Edmunds cafe, a group of women and one young man were busy swapping phone numbers on scraps of paper and napkins over freshly baked pastries and cups of coffee. They were Ukrainian refugees, attending the Bay Street Cafe's coffee morning for those who fled the war-torn country. The coffee morning started on May the 9th by cafe owner Nikki Richmond and refugee host Emily Sloman as a support network for refugees to get help from translating forms to finding work or general information about services. Two people who attended 
were 40-year-old Larissa Tarienko and her 17-year-old nephew, Pavlo Karol, who arrived in Berry three weeks ago. Larissa, an English teacher from Kyiv, had to leave her husband behind. He was drafted into the army. And Pavlo's mother also had to stay to look after the business she inherited from her father. It wasn't an easy decision for the pair, but with a constant threat of air attacks, they decided to travel by road to the Polish border and ultimately settle in the UK with a host family. Larissa said, Our lives have stopped. We're somewhere in between. But there is such a warm and cosy atmosphere here, we're so grateful to everyone. We come to the coffee morning, we are filled with information and then live throughout the week. We live our lives. The coffee morning runs every Monday morning from 9am until 11am and has grown significantly since it started. Emily Sloman said, It's becoming much more than simply a coffee morning and a place to meet. We've had a pregnant mum who needs a pushchair and car seat. We've had people able to source things. We let people write down questions or things they need information on. For Nikki Richmond, who owns the cafe with her husband Mark, this was their way of doing something for the cause. The one thing that we could offer was a quiet place for people to meet up, talk in their own language, and a chance to find friends, she said. The group are now looking for people who would be willing to give lifts or offer work to the refugees. South Cambridgeshire's MP Anthony Brown has called on Prime Minister Boris Johnson to help make sure local NHS staff are paid fairly to prevent them from moving away due to Cambridge being unaffordable. Mr Brown asked his question during Prime Minister's question time on Wednesday. He said, Cambridge is one of the most expensive places to live in the country, but unlike many cheaper places, NHS workers in the city get no high cost of living supplement. NHS workers in Cambridge pay higher rents than those in outer London boroughs like Redbridge and Croydon, Bexley and Barking, and yet they get paid 15% less. Mr Johnson said, I hope that the Independent NHS Pay Review Board will listen carefully to what my honourable friend said. Stop lifting our boob mugs. The owner of a popular cafe has appealed to the public, please stop stealing our boob mugs. Ali Barker, who runs the Folk Cafe in Fordham St Martin, has made the appeal after about 40 of the mugs, which feature hand-painted illustrations of boobs, have gone missing. The boob mugs were especially commissioned for the cafe from two Suffolk artists. Mugs featuring illustrations of bums have gone missing too. It's been happening over the last year or so with one or two going missing at first, said Ali. I commissioned them especially for the cafe and we use them to serve customers as well as sell them, but they're being stolen one by one. I think some people are just putting them in their bag after having a cup of coffee or tea and then leaving. The team have told me it's now getting ridiculous and we thought we'd put out the appeal. People, please stop stealing our boob mugs. Ali opened the Folk Cafe in 2018. 
It recently became a key centre for drop-offs for the Ukraine appeal, after Ali launched an appeal to help refugees. The mugs were commissioned from artist Polly Williams, known as Pomlete from Woodbridge, and then glazed by Lowe Sodengarten in Hoxham. The first batch featured pictures of bums, some of which have also been stolen. We haven't reported the thefts to the police yet, and we thought we'd appeal to the public first. We also have CCTV at the cafe, and so are carefully monitoring that. The mugs are just a bit of fun and very popular with customers. Too popular, perhaps. If they keep going missing, we'll have to stop commissioning and using them, which is unfair on the artists. We wanted to commission a range of body parts. Folk Cafe offers inside and outside dining, takeaway, click and collect, and also live music events. We're holding two days of events for the Queen's Jubilee on Thursday and Friday, said Ali. Hopefully... We'll have enough boob and bum mugs left for that, but would politely ask people, do just leave them behind with us. And now we're going to move on to the letters. Uh, my first letter is written by the editor, Barry Peters of the Berry Free Press. He hits his letter, a shining light in a sea of scandal and self-seeking. Cards on the table. I love the Queen, and think both she and the royal family are great for the country. It's not a view shared by everyone. Scandals, Netflix deals, and title-tattle, tittle-tattle, seem to be the order of the day from the country's premier family. But the one shining light has been the Queen's hold on power for 70 years. Here in Suffolk, we've been delighted to entertain Her Majesty in Bury St Edmunds, Stowmarket and Newmarket. Her memories from those visits are included today in our special supplement looking at the faces and the places from those special royal days. It's easy to say we won't see her like again. Who's to say? But what is certain is that Her Majesty's service to the Commonwealth since the 1950s has been a delight to watch. No one can deny no one can doubt her magnificent power to enthrall, her willingness to put the service before self, her desire to hold her own family together. As we all prepare to celebrate the Platinum Jubilee, take a moment to appreciate what a joyous royal period we have enjoyed. Veterans should not be homeless, write a group. There is Richard Gamage, CEO of Stoll, Andrew Lord, MBE, CEO of Albare, Bernard Stone Street, East Sussex Veterans Hub, Tim Stockings, CEO, Hague Housing, Sheena McKay, Help for Heroes, Steve Bentham Bates, CEO, Help for Homeless Veterans, Moira Bain, CEO Housing Option Scotland, Colonel, retired, Tony Govain, Chair CEO PTSD Resolution, Emerus Rogers, Royal Air Force Benevolent Fund, Mark Shields, Royal Air Force Association, and Brigadier Retired Martin Nadin from the Scottish Veterans Residence. 
they collectively write, When someone has served their country in the armed forces, the least we can do is support them when they make the move back to civilian life. Yet every year, thousands of veterans end up sleeping rough, sofa surfing, or living in unsuitable hostels because they're unable to access housing and slip through the net. Those that have served their country, often through the most trying of times, deserve better. The Armed Forces Covenant states that anyone who served in the forces should face no disadvantage, and this includes accessing social housing. Veterans who are especially vulnerable to homelessness should be prioritised for support. We've seen a dramatic rise in the number of homeless veterans seeking help since the pandemic. With the rising cost of living crisis, we know the situation is going to get worse. Too often, former members of the armed forces miss out on housing support because they aren't identified as a veteran. As the leading voices in the veterans' housing sector, we've joined the No Homeless Veterans, www.nohomelessveterans.org.uk, campaign to urge local authorities to do more. It is vital that when someone needs help with housing, they are asked whether they are served in the forces. If they have, it should be recorded. Once identified, they can be directed towards support that's available. Many, particularly in Scotland, already do. But all local authorities across the UK should be identifying veterans quickly. There is no need for them to be sofa surfing, bouncing from hostel to hostel or sleeping on the streets. Our heroes deserve better and it's inexcusable to leave them out in the cold. My next letter is from Graham Day and he is from Stowmarket and he heads his letter, A Welcome New Facility at Lake. Over many years we have enjoyed walking around Needham Lake in all season, there being a constantly changing kaleidoscope of colour and activity. I can recall the lake site being used to provide material for the then new A45, now the A14, Gipping Valley Bypass, which has been constructed while I was working for Gipping Rural District Council in 1972-1973. On a warm and sunny spring morning, we decided to visit the lake to walk the paths around it. The development of the lake is a superb facility now much visited, and the experience has now been enhanced by the opening of the Duck and Teapot Café. After the walk, a most welcome coffee and a comprehensive and affordable menu selection to tempt one. On this occasion, it was the opening day and the café was very, very busy. Despite there being some minor difficulties, the staff coped very well in the circumstances and overall, the experience was a very good one. No duck or grouse from us, as another visit will probably made very shortly. Congratulations to Mid-Suffolk Council for the development of what will be very fine facility, which enhances the visitor experience massively. Polluted rivers shameful, writes George McKinsock from Hadley. I find it no surprise that all our rivers fail to meet pollution standards, as evidence in the Essex and Suffolk Rivers Trust damming report. 
Over the last 12 years, successive Conservative government have reduced Environment Agency funding by 63% and more recently decided to allow the discharge of raw sewage into our rivers, a measure supported by almost all Conservative MPs who clearly demonstrated their contempt for the environment. Instead of increasing funding for a raft of green energy measures, they wish to spend the money on already obsolete nuclear power, which will not come online for another 12 years and leave future generations a poisonous legacy for centuries to come. I don't feel our environment or the future of the planet is safe in their hands, do you? Jim Mitchell um, writes via his email and he heads it, Barry is equal to city status winners. The recent competition regarding the Queen's Platinum Jubilee conferring city status on a record eight former towns has produced no little joy and consternation in equal parts. The list. Port Stanley, the Falkland Islands, Bangor, County Down, Ulster, Doncaster, South Yorkshire, Douglas, Isle of Man, Dunfermline, Fife, Scotland, Milton Keynes, Buckinghamshire, Wrexham, North East Wales and Colchester, Essex. Of course, we, the public, do not know the criteria for the winning location candidates, but taking an objected look at the geographical spread of those fortunate former towns, there does seem to be a definite rational to the awards on this occasion. That is, until you look at the counties that already have places with city status, for instance, Yorkshire, 7, Lancashire, 2, Gloucestershire, 5, Essex, 3, Suffolk, 0. Whatever the merits of other town, there surely must be a credible case for Bury St Edmunds, with its cathedral and former seat of local authority, when our county was divided into East and West Suffolk. While Ipswich might well be Suffolk's nominal county town, as an Ipswich town football season ticket holder, I would feel somewhat queasy about city status confirmed on my team, the Super Blues, in their battles on the pitch at Portman Road. So, on the basis, excluding Port Stanley, that Bury is at least equal to those recent winners, it surely cannot be too long to wait for some belated Recognition regarding Suffolk having a city to celebrate. Gwen Pease of Ipswich writes, A mobility problem has caused Queen Elizabeth to watch her step in a platinum jubilee year. To gain support, the Queen has taken to using a tall walking staff instead of a conventional stick. This enables the walker to keep upright while maintaining a steady balance. There's been an air of smiling confidence on brief walkabouts recently. Official events may have been curtailed, but the Queen has always set a high standard to strive to do one's best. Mark Sutcliffe from Bilderston writes uh, about Boris Johnson, who he says must resign. Sir, what on earth has happened to our great country? Who among us can claim to be perfect? who hasn't massaged the truth to grease the wheels of life. 
Having said that, I believe that as a society we should be able to hold our leaders and rule makers to account. Human frailties notwithstanding, the very essence of leadership is integrity. Without that trust, we slip, however, imperceptibly towards utterly unaccountable regimes like that in Russia. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that Boris Johnson must resign. The blind loyalty of cabinet members is sickening. The arguments that are too many huge issues facing the country is bogus. Personally, at this awful time, I don't want such an untrustworthy, untrustworthy individual leading our great country. We deserve better. Brexit and all its ills has led us here by destablishing and polarizing our politics. I agree with the Prime Minister when he says this is a great country. In my view, it would be even greater without his flawed leadership. Kinship carers deserve support. This week's one-in-a-lifetime independent review of children's social care marks a seismic change for kinship care. Finally, kinship carers, the silent and unheard majority in the children's social care system, are being recognised and prioritised for the support they deserve. We're delighted that the voices of 150,000-plus grandparents, aunties, uncles, siblings and friends raising children in your area across England have at last been heard. In times of crisis, kinship carers step up to provide children with loving and stable home (coughs) when their parents aren't able to, benefiting families and society by preventing children going into the care system unnecessarily. However... As well as guaranteeing comprehensive support for families who thrive in the future, thousands of kinship families desperately need our help today. The government must act with urgency to deliver financial, practical and emotional support for all carers and their children. We are committed to campaigning together with kinship carers to ensure this week's review becomes a springboard for a future in which kinship families are recognised, valued and supported writes Lucy Peake, Chief Executive of Kinship, who says check our website kinship.org.uk And the last letter is from Martin Dighton from Woodbridge and he says the buck stops where? Sir, it seems there is only one boss in the UK who can claim that the buck does not stop at his desk. He simply blames his staff and passes the buck to them and fires them. This confirms what a sort of spineless, spoilt, entitled and privileged person we have elected as our Prime Minister. A good boss and a good leader supports his staff and takes his responsibility for the actions of his staff. We have a Prime Minister who's never taken or accepted responsibility for any of his actions. And now I think we're going to move on to our features. Tell the bees you love them, writes Peter Good, who's the energy advisor and our environmental researcher. It was World Bee Day last week, although every day should be about celebrating and supporting our pollinators. 
Without these insects, there is, in all reality, no plan B, since we rely on them not only throughout our food chain, but probably nearly all areas of our life in some way. Bees feature in folklore across cultures and time. Many cultures and societies have both revered and featured bees. Telling the bees is a tradition across some societies, where they are treated as part of the family. Imparting news of a death or a major event in the family to each of the hives is said to stop them leaving and is thought to be extremely bad luck not to share the news with your bees. There are stories of beehive colonies not thriving if someone has paid for the swarm. Some say that bees leave a family hive if the family argue too much. Well, we can never have bees coming to our house then. The ancient Greeks and Romans considered bees to be servants and messengers of the gods. The Roman god Jupiter is said to have given bees their sting. It was told by his wife Juno to make bees pay for this weapon by having to die if it is used. Bees are found on every continent except Antarctica. They can read the Earth's magnetic field and use it to navigate. Bees can carry more than their own body weight when in flight. They've also been shown to be able to count up to four. It's weird, but if you watch a single bee in a swarm, they appear to move randomly. But as a whole population, they can act as one, moving to a new location to set up home. Each bee has a role, whether that is scouting or finding food, guarding the hive, using their wings to keep the hive cool, or serving the queens and her offspring. When bees find a new food source, they tell the others in the colony how to find it, by moving in a strict pattern, like a dance. If the food source is good, they dance more, so their message is better communicated. When I dance, most people turn away and laugh. Bees even have the edge on dad dancing. Around one-third of our global food supply is dependent on the humble bumble and its invertebrate cousins. They pollinate around 70 different crops, including fruit, vegetables and cereals, like wheat and barley, which go into bread, beer and animal feed. It's estimated that bees contribute £400 million to the UK economy, and that's about £6 per person per year. So what can we do to help these industrious workers continuing to do their job? First, stop using synthetic pesticides in the garden. Their indiscriminate and widespread use in agriculture and home alongside the loss of habitat have contributed to the decline of the bee population in the UK. Using alternatives to harmful pesticides in the garden will help. Alone, for wildflowers can help not only bees but other insects. Better still, create a pollinator garden with plants and flowers that give insects, like bees, nectar and pollen stations. Try and choose flowering plants that are native. Choose varieties for their insect pulling power throughout the year. With successful flowering, so there's always food available. Installing a bee hotel can be another way of supporting pollinating insects, giving them a place to lay eggs which are protected over the winter months. These are usually made up of a bundle of tubes, usually bamboo cane, around 6 inches or 15 centimetres long, and varying size openings so different bee species can then find 
accommodation to suit them. Ideally, set up several hotels and spread them round your garden, rather than just have one massive Hilton or Ritz. This reduces the risk of predators and enjoying a sit-down meal on the residence. Place them in full sun while the bees are around, then in winter, put the hostels into a cool, sheltered spot. Take them outside again when the weather starts to warm up, so the bees can come out. Every year, give the hotel a spring clean, or replace the canes to prevent pests, a disease which can harm future residents. Finally, sit down for five minutes and watch the bees. You can even tell them the good news that for you, and for one, are watching out for them. And my feature is by the local historian, author and tour guide, Martin Taylor, who has trawled through his archive to find some of his favourite Bury St Edmund stories from the past. The Prior's estate in Bury St Edmunds was initially known as the Perry Barn Estate, with building work starting in 1927. It is often referred to as Hill 60, after a World War I battleground in which the 4th Battalion of the Suffolk Regiment fought in Belgium. The hill was supposedly 60 metres above the sea level. As a major piece of tactical ground, it was held by German and Allied forces at different times. But the hill was not natural. It was a gigantic spoil heap made from the diggings of the local railway. During the heavy fighting, the terrain was reduced to a muddy bog by torrential rain. The weather in 1927 to 1930 in England, overall being some of the wettest for years, was probably where Hill 60 Nick came, nickname came from. Sadly, for many years, this was used as a derogatory name for the estate. On the corner with West Road in Prize Inn, the largest pub in the town then opened in 1933, the licence being transferred from the recently clothed Horse and Groom in St Andrews Street South. After the pub's closure, several businesses traded from here over the years, the last from Moza Indian Takeaway Restaurant. This has now been demolished with flats built in its stead. The Priors Inn was built by H.G. Frost to designs by architect Bill Mitchell with the first landlord, Fred Stavely. Later landlords included former Berrytown footballer Jack Hayes and colourful mine host Bob and Jan Hitchings. The traditional pub outing was much supported in its early years and the obligatory darts and a Saturday football team. But nothing lasts forever, and in January 2014, the prize in closed due to market forces. The closing night attracted a huge attendance, but demolition followed with Haverbury Housing Association, building 33 properties called Britain Place and Perry Barn Close on the large site by 2016. Historic bells leave church for first time in over a century. The eight bells at St Gregory's Church in Sudbury have left its bell tower for the first time in more than a hundred years. The bells will be cleaned and returned by Taylor's Bell Foundry with a view to returning them to the church by the end of August. The ancient church, 
is believed to be the site of St Edmund's coronation as King of East Anglia in 855 AD. The removal of the bells began on Wednesday, May the 25th, and a lorry transported them to Loughborough the next day. Tower captain, Pauline Brown, said the bells had to be stripped down and lowered from the bell chamber. She added, The bells are very difficult to ring as the fittings are worn down. The bearings are very badly worn too, which affects the handling of the bell ringers. The restoration costs are being taken from funds raised in a campaign launched in November 2020. Mrs Brown also applied for grants. She didn't want to put any extra pressure on the parish. The closest bell foundry is situated in Loughborough, meaning the bells will have to travel over 100 miles to undergo maintenance. Mrs Brown believes Sudbury will miss the church bells. She said, The sound is lovely, particularly if you live near the church tower. Her voluntary role as a tower captain means Mrs Brown is in charge of organising the bell ringers. There are about 14 ringers, ranging from school age right up to their 80s. She believes bell ringing requires both practice and experience and is a good hobby for socialising with other people. She added, I did it a couple of times and now I just can't give up. Having lived in Sudbury for eight years, Mrs Brown is an active member of the church. She encouraged people to come and view the bells once they've been returned and says, If you can climb 48 steps up the spiral staircase, you could even have a go at ringing the bells yourself. Mildon Hall fighters have climbed England's highest mountain to raise money for the East Anglian Air Ambulance Charity. The firefighters on Saturday uh, team scored the scaffold pike, wearing their full fire kit and breathing apparatus. Participants Matthew Thorpe, Andrew Armstrong, Victor Hallett and Blake Wallace are all currently stationed with the RAF Mildenhall Fire Department. Despite steep inclines, poor visibility and slippery boulder fields, the team of four managed to reach their goal in scaling the 978-metre mountain. Another associate also set out on the journey but had to retire early due to an injury. Watch manager Matthew Thorpe said it was challenging as the visibility was pretty appalling. He added, we got mistaken for mountain rescue by other hikers a few times too. Must have been because we were dressed in all our gear. Town all set for exciting Jubilee celebrations over the next month. The Sudbury Market Town Partnership is joining in with Her Majesty the Queen Platinum Jubilee celebrations by putting together a programme of activities for the whole month of June. On Friday there will be a charity ball at Sudbury's Masonic Hall when dances will include ballroom, Latin and sequence 50-50. There will be a special guest appearance at the Hot Club Quartet, the Jangladeers, playing Swing Jive. Doors will open at 7pm with dancing from 7.30 to 10.30. Dancing will be led by Andrew and Roy and there will be a licensed bar and free raffle. Tickets, £10 each, are available from Sudbury Tourist Information Centre or Pedders in King Street. At the Hive Community Hub, School Street, Sudbury, 
which was the former United Reformed Church, four local and talented organists, Tom Cogan, Robert Green, Stephen Hogger and David Tibbetts, chaplain, will play a selection of British music at a concert on Saturday, June the 4th, from 6 to 7pm. Lunchtime concerts will take place each Tuesday with a variety of singers and instruments on June the 7th, 14th, 21st and 28th from 12.30 until 1.15. For something completely different, drawing workshops, led by professional artist Robert Ford, will take place on Monday, June the 20th at 11pm, 11am to 1pm and 2 to 4pm. The workshops will be suitable for beginners and intermediate skills and cost £10 per session. The 2pm session will be a repeat of the morning's tuition. Numbers will be limited and places will need to be booked in advance on 07947 Continuing with the theme of art, on Wednesday, June the 22nd, from 12.30 to 1.30, Mark Bills, Executive Director of Gainsborough's House, will present an update on the work at Gainsborough House under the title of Creating a National Centre in Sudbury. Refreshments will be available and donations invited to support the funds needed to complete the renovation work at Gainsborough's House. Proceeds from these events will be shared between Hive, towards the refurbishment work at the Hive community, and Sudbury Market Town Partnership for work in the community. An experienced publican has taken over his latest venue in the Suffolk village of Monks Ely and is hoping it becomes the centre of the community. Dennis Young took over the Swan earlier this month from the previous landlords. Mr Young also runs a pub in Buckhurst in Essex, the Railway Bar and Grill, which focuses on live entertainment. However, after seven years in charge, he found that he wasn't needed to run it anymore and decided to take on the challenge of running a destination pub, which he managed to get ready in just four days. The pub has three bedrooms, a single, a double and a family room, which all have ensuite bathrooms. Speaking about his first weeks in business, he said, It's been good. The first weekend we had a wedding. I was looking for a destination site all over Norfolk and Suffolk. One day I saw this pop up on the internet and went up and spoke to the current owners. They were willing to sell at the right price and we agreed on it. I then brought Leanne in, who is a catering chef, and now one of my managers. She's local, lives in the area and knows the local people and what potential it has to advise me to go ahead with it. Speaking about the pub's food, Mr Young revealed the swan will serve classic dishes, but he's also in talks to bring in food from overseas. Racing Trophy Thieves Jailed for a Total of 74 Years Six members of an organised crime gang who stole irreplaceable racing trophies from Newmarket's National Horse Racing Museum have been jailed for a total of 74 years. Jimmy Sheen, David Riley, Finney Green, Shane Harris, 
Jimmy Loveridge and Paul Smith were all part of a gang called Solar, which over a period of 12 months stole from cash machines and businesses across the country. The group also targeted rural locations a year-long crime spree between June 2019 and June 2020. And one of these incidents, on May the 8th, 2020, was a smash and grab lasting just one minute and 40 seconds raid at Racing Museum where the group stole high-value trophies, some of which were historical significance, like the 1922 Doncaster Cup, and have never been recovered. The gang was caught after some members were involved in a fatal crash. Longbridge, 30, formerly of Chobham, was subsequently jailed for 10 years for causing death by dangerous driving. A number of search warrants were executed as part of the crash investigation, allowing police to recover significant evidence and phones relating to the gang's activities. Following a lengthy investigation, all six men were arrested and charged with a string of offences in April 2021. They have now been jailed following a hearing at Oxford Crown Court. Garden designer Thomas Hoblin, based near Bury St Edmunds, won a coveted gold medal for his entry, the Boodles Travel Club, while a posy of new sweet peas discovered by Harkstead Plant Nursery owner and named in honour of celebrity gardener Peter Seabrack were presented to the Queen. A Saxmundon-based gold medalist and Hellsworth landscaper will also be bringing their garden to a county prison after the show has ended. Thomas Hoblin, a garden designer based near Bury St Edmunds, won a gold medal for his entry, which was sponsored by Boodles. His winning garden design commemorated a journey taken around the world in 16 days by the father of the Boodles chairman in 1960. The garden's planting was drawn from all corners of the world, including East Asia and Pennsylvania. According to Boodles, the garden is meant to act as a calm sanctuary to reflect on the journey. Fair offers wits and fun for all family. Visitors are expected to flock to Bury St Edmunds on Sunday for the return of the town's free wits and fair. The event from 10am to 4pm is the first of our Bury in St Edmunds Business Improvement District summer season of activities. The fair, supporting the East Anglian Air Ambulance, promises crafts, plants, street food and artisan produce alongside family entertainment. Mark Kirkham, our Bury St Edmunds marketing officer, said... We've been delighted at the number of stallholders who want to take part this year, especially given it's a very busy week, with all the events leading up to the Queen's Platinum Jubilee Bank Holiday the following weekend. A market will be on Angel Hill, and the Athenaeum Astronomy Association will provide games and entertainments, as well as advice about telescopes and viewing the night sky. There'll be also fairground rides and street entertainment, including a stilt walker, Balloon modelling and magic. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, 
please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given or put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. And News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Mary, Ruth, Adrian and Sue, it's goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.